Well, when I was in first grade, there was a group of boys from our class, and we used to play some games that we kind of made up during recess, and they were based on some of the hit TV shows of that era, TV shows like Gunsmoke and Adam 12. If you're over uh, or under 40, you've probably never heard of those shows. Uh, They were real shows on real TV. You could probably find them on YouTube today, maybe. Uh, But we loved playing those games at recess. And then one day, our teacher, Mrs. Rankin, she had all the boys sit down, and she said something along the lines of this. She said, it is inappropriate to reenact scenes in which people were killed and dead bodies are being carried around. (laughs) She said, we're here to promote an environment of inquiry. But we will not tolerate such disgusting behavior. Besides, you boys are scaring the girls. So stop it. (laughs) And so we stopped. Now, about 10 years later, my junior year in high school, my social studies teacher was a a woman by the name of Mrs. Edith DeMello. She was an imposing figure. She was known as the toughest teacher in school. And on the very first day of school, as we sat down in her class, she announced that this would be her her last year of teaching, that she was retiring, Uh, but that she hoped that it would be her best year. And one day after class, I heard my name called out. Mr. Carney, please have a seat. She had a chair right next to her big imposing desk. And... People leaving the classroom said, ooh, you know. And Mrs. DeMello said, young man, if you ever hope to succeed in university, you must develop rigorous study habits right now. That's all she said. She said, you can go. But I want to say that I listened to Mrs. DeMello, and I made it through university much because she prepared me to do so. A number of years later, I was attending Bible college. And one of the instructors who became my mentor, Gary Strubar, took me out to lunch one day. Apparently he'd caught on to my half-hearted efforts in some of my classes. So after the pleasantries, kind of got down to business. And he said, Rob... If you're going to just go through the motions, you should just quit right now. I want to say that that conversation with Gary lit a passion, a fire in my heart about being prepared for ministry. Uh, Just a few years ago, there were some rough times in our congregation here. And after a somewhat tense leadership meeting where I may or may have not gotten a little emotional... One of the elders of our church gently pulled me aside and he said, Rob, it doesn't help us when you get so defensive. That doesn't lead. And he was right. And God continues to use that comment to change my heart. So as you can see, for for nearly as, as long as I can remember, God, in his incredible grace, has brought people into my life who cared enough to speak the truth in love. They cared enough to speak truth, and God worked to change my life. 
And I want to say today that we all need someone to speak the truth in love into our lives and that we will never outgrow that need. We are all like David in our text today. And we need a Nathan to set our hearts aright. Now David was the man that God chose to be the king of his special people. God even called him a man after my own heart. David wrote wonderful, beautiful, grand words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. I will glorify your name forever. But then David's heart grew hard and cold toward God and toward other people. So much so that David committed adultery. He got a woman pregnant. And then like a thug, he orchestrated the murder of her husband. Sounds like something you see in a TV or movie. Except it's all too real. Rather than turn his life over to God, David continued manipulating and scheming and controlling all the events of his life leading up to the moment that we get to in the beginning of our text today. In verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. David's life had continued to slide into a, a moral and spiritual cesspool, but through a friend named Nathan, God brought truth into his heart. And even though he was the king, even though he was the man after God's own heart, David still needed to hear the truth spoken in love. I'd like to read this text, and I'd like to invite you to stand as God's word is read today, if you're able. Will you please stand? 2 Samuel, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And Nathan came to David and he said, there were two men in one city. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and he nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat out of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him, and rather he took the poor man's ewe, and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this thing deserves to die. He must make restitution. For the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and he had no compassion. Then we get to the good part, verse 7. And Nathan says to David, You are the man. Notice he, he did not say, You the man. You the man. Did. No, he said, You are the man. And then Nathan spoke on behalf of God, and he said, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hands of Saul. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife. You've killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house 
because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it in secret, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. David. David says to Nathan, I, I have sinned against the Lord. And I want you to hear this. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme him, the child that is born to you shall surely die. And so Nathan went to his house. It's the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So there is an amazing truth in the Bible. God has designed us to be in relationship. That goes all the way back to the garden, doesn't it? He saw that it was not good for man to be alone. We are designed to be in relationship, and God wants us to have healthy relationships. And so as a gift to us, God has revealed some truths about how to achieve this. An important part of good relationships, the kind that God desires for us, is that we would learn to speak the truth in love. And so our text today illustrates this process, and I want to walk through it with you. And the process begins first with this. It begins with fearing the truth. Fearing the truth. You know, have you ever thought about how the truth can be scary at times? Sometimes the truth is terrifying. Sometimes we like to hide from the truth. We like to pretend. We like to wear masks. Why? Often it's because we're afraid someone might see our secrets. We're afraid our weaknesses and sins might be exposed and then shame would overwhelm us. Now, before I talk about how to speak the truth in love, I want to address these fears. I mean, why would I want someone to speak truth into my life? Why should I come out of hiding? Why should I risk rejection by attempting to get involved in someone else's mess? Well, based on a biblical understanding of our spiritual journey, I want to just outline why we so desperately need loving truth-tellers in our life. First, we need to know that the goal of God, our creator, is that we would complete a journey through life to become like Christ. There's all kinds of scriptures about this. But that is our destination, to become like Christ. Now, if you haven't arrived there yet, and who among us has, then you are an unfinished product. Now, theologians use a kind of a, a fancy Latin term to, to describe this journey. Status viatoris. It means a human being who is on the way. On the way. But if you're in Christ, if his life has been birthed in you and you've connected with him in his life and his death and his resurrection, then the deepest longing of your heart 
as you're on the way, is to finish the journey. Paul uses an analogy in Philippians chapter 3. He says we're kind of like an Olympic sprinter, stretching and straining toward the finish line. You don't want to sit down and give up. You can't. God won't let you. And so your deepest desire and longing is to be on the way toward Christ. The problem of our journey, though, is that sin gets in the way, doesn't it? It hardens our hearts. We become masters of self-deception. Look at what happened to David. He slid into this massive sin, lust, adultery, murder, cruelty, and he didn't even see it. The only time David really cared about sin was when Nathan told him about someone else's sin. Then he erupts with rage. He could see the sin in others. But he built up massive blind spots to his own sin. He became an expert at self-righteousness and self-deception. Don't we all do that? We look at our spouse, our children, our parents, our brothers and sisters, our friends, folks in our church community, our our political leaders, and we're outraged by their sin. How dare she say that? How dare he do that? Can you believe that? But simultaneously, we excuse and we defend our own. One part of dealing with this sin in our lives is through Christian community. God puts us with other people on purpose. That's his plan. His intent is that the people he places us with love us so much that they will tell us the truth. Now hopefully they do it with a gentle and a humble spirit, but they take the risk. You see, we need other people to see our blind spots. And then they need to tell us about them. And that truly is what the Bible calls speaking the truth in love. It's a phrase from Scripture, from Ephesians chapter 4. When we speak the truth in love, God uses it to help us grow in Christ, to move closer in our journey and on our goal towards Christ-likeness. Listen to Paul's words. Then we will no longer be infants. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ. Anybody ever said to you, just grow up? Sometimes we need to grow up, folks. We need to quit being babies. That can be frightening. And by the way, a lot of us have never seen a good model of this. Some of us grew up in families or even attended churches that either blasted us with the truth or loved us with such an overwhelmingly sweet version of love that no one ever spoke the truth. We don't talk about those things around here. We just love. And so we were either beaten down by those who used the truth like a club or we were affirmed to death, literally. You see, God calls us to a healthy Christ-like balance, speaking the truth in love. If we don't do it, we won't grow up. 
If we don't take the risk of giving and receiving truth in love, then like David, we will remain stuck in our self-deception. We'll wallow in our sin. We'll stink. We're covered with pig slop and manure, but everyone walks around and says, oh, you look so nice today. So how do we live like Nathan? Well, it starts when we move from fearing truth to speaking truth. Speaking truth. Based on this passage and other parts of Scripture, let, let me just give you some guidelines for how to speak the truth in love. And by the way, because these are true, they're from God, these guidelines will work in, in nearly every relationship in your life, both within and outside the church. And so let's invite Nathan to be our mentor. And let's consider the end result of his encounter with David. This hard-hearted, sin-captured man finally surrendered and confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. But David did even better than that. In Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is the psalm or the song that David wrote about these events that are covered in chapter 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel. Listen to his words as he prays. Create in me a pure heart, O God. My mouth will declare your praise. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. You see, David didn't just show remorse. And he didn't wallow in sin and self-pity. Instead, he worshipped God. He worshipped God. And so what did Nathan do to help David move from open rebellion to full-on surrender? Let's look at what he did. First, Nathan had courage. He had courage. Let's not skip, skip over verse 1 in this story. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Now I want you to imagine the courage that Nathan needed to, to obey God. David was not only the God-appointed king who could do whatever he wanted, but he'd also become arrogant and cruel. We know that David had already concocted a plan to dispose of his lover's husband, and it included his murder and the murder of a whole bunch of other people. And so we could say that at this point in time when God says, Nathan, go see David, that David was not in a good place, right? David actually had the power and the authority to dump you in the river if he wanted. Do you know that David had a bodyguard, a guy by the name of Abishai? And there's a couple of other encounters when people spoke out against David. And he said stuff like, uh, David, let me just go and cut that guy's head off for you. That's the kind of guy that was at the right hand of David. How'd you like to mess with Abishai? How'd you like to confront the king? Nathan took the risk. And I want us to know that truth-telling always requires courage. It just does. You might not be liked. Most people will not say, well, thank you for pointing out my blind spot. I appreciate your thoughtfulness and your insightfulness today. I mean, why do you think we call them blind spots? 
We don't want people to notice them. It takes courage. People might fling it back in your face. They might just throw it right back at you. Now that we're on the subject, why don't we discuss your blind spots, you jerk? But we don't tell the truth because it makes us popular. We do it because God has captured our hearts. He's captured us with a vision and with a story. And it's a vision of life that is transformed, that's liberated from sin and blind spots, that's able to grow in Christ and become the person that God has in mind when he created you. That is the journey that you are on. We long for that. We long for that reality to capture our own heart and the hearts of those that we care about. And so with that vision in view, we must just step out in courage and speak the truth. And not only did Nathan have courage, but the second thing he did is he listened to God. He listened to God. How did Nathan know that he was supposed to talk to David? The text doesn't tell us that. But I believe he, he had to be listening to God, right? We are first and foremost listeners before we are doers. One of the Hebrew words for obedience in the Bible, built into that word is the idea of listening first. And I, I like that. We stop, we listen. And then we act. And so how do we listen? Well, we, we quiet our hearts and we try, to, we try to release our own agenda. We, we listen to our anger and, and we confess that. We, we listen to our arrogance and we confess that to God. And then we listen to God's word. And we ask some questions like, am I responding like the Jesus that I see in the Gospels? Have I taken the time to, to be still and to know that God is God? And then as, as I'm listening, I, I might even ask myself a question. Is this, this truth thing that I'm about to tell, is it a clear issue of Scripture? Or of having the character of Christ formed in our human life? Or, or, or is this just an issue of my personal preference? You see, your personal preferences and my personal preferences are not truth. And we're not called to be preference tellers. We're called to be truth tellers. And discerning between those two things is critical. And that's why God gives us his Holy Spirit to help us to discern, to look and examine carefully, and to think clearly. Listen first. Is it a biblical issue? Is it an issue of Christ-like character? Is it worth the risk and the fight? Or will you regret what you say 10 or 20 minutes later or 10 or 20 years later? And so truth-tellers have courage. Truth-tellers listen. And then third, truth-tellers have tact. Nathan had tact. You see, Nathan had a history 
with David. He didn't just breeze into his life and rebuke him, telling him a cool story and then move on. No, they have a history. It goes back a while. There's a a story back in chapter 7 where Nathan is, he's not rebuking David, he's encouraging David. He's reminding David of God's incredible promises to him. And he's telling David, he basically says, look, you're you're part of God's amazing plan to to redeem the whole world. And part of that plan is going to work itself out in the person of, of your greater son, the king of kings, the Messiah, the world's savior. Wow, those are some encouraging words. And so Nathan didn't just unload on David. He'd walked with David. He'd invested in David. And folks, that's why it's so critical to be in a relationship with other Christ followers. Our journey towards Jesus was never intended to be about you and Jesus alone. God's plan always includes community. Truth-telling and encouragement go together. Encouragement is based in the fact that, that we are fearful people who need God's support. And, and truth-telling is grounded in the fact that we are sinful people. And sometimes we need God's correction. And so those two things go together. When you put encouragement and connection together, correction together, you get tact. Listen to this proverb, Proverbs 12, 18. Thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword. Oh. Wisely spoken words can heal. Wow. Isn't that a great contrast? And so I want you to see Nathan's tact in this story. He doesn't just come and club David with the truth. He engages David in such a way, a creative way, that David is able to see his sin for himself. He speaks truth, but he does it tactfully. Courage, listening, tact. And then finally, or fourth, Nathan had personal contact with David. He came to see him personally, face to face. Brothers and sisters, Christianity is essentially a community spiritual journey. It's never solo. When we spend time in community with other believers, we create opportunity for personal contact so that we can encourage one another. And then when the time comes to tell the truth, we've walked together. And so we've earned something there to be able to step into the truth and to speak it. If you're going to confront someone, have enough guts to do it in person. Don't write them an anonymous note. Don't send them a text or an email. And please don't tweet it or put it on Facebook. (laughs) Show your face and show your heart. Brothers and sisters, writes the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are more spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. And so folks, this truth-telling, it's to be done with gentleness. It's to be done with humility. We don't cut 
people out of our lives in God's kingdom. We restore them gently. And by the way, we do it because guess what? We could be the next one falling into sin tomorrow, couldn't we? And then the last thing I want you to see with Nathan's confrontation here is that he offered comfort. He offered comfort. He didn't just walk away. He didn't just slam David with the truth and walk out the back door. He offered words of assurance and comfort. He pointed David back to God. He shared God's message of grace. Did you catch those words at the end when David says, I've sinned against the Lord? David, you will not die. You will not die. When did God's grace enter the picture? It entered immediately. It entered immediately because God's grace is powerful and it's overwhelming. And it flooded in to David when he realized his sin. You know, David had been involved in adultery. He had been involved in murder. And according to the law, the punishment was death. David, you will not die. God steps in with grace and Nathan reminds him of that grace he shares that grace and modern truth tellers are prepared to do the same thing when we tell the truth we always point back to the cross when truth tellers speak to us they say look at what jesus has done look at his mercy in the midst of our mess truth tellers never leave us feeling heavy-hearted and oppressed by guilt and condemnation Instead, they point us toward the way we should go. Status via Taurus. So, we've moved from fearing truth to speaking truth. And now here's the real miracle in the story that I want you to see. And that is receiving truth. Receiving truth. David received Nathan's truth-telling. His heart broke. There were no excuses. There were no rationalizations. Now, let me tell you, Nathan, here's why this happened. And it's like, you know, if that guy wouldn't have done that, none of that. God demolished David's cleverly devised defense mechanisms. And David simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. Later on, David would describe the desires of his heart like this. And this comes from that 51st Psalm. When he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Wow. But you know, that's usually not what happens so much of the time. You know, so many of us have a built-in aversion to hearing the truth because our heart clings stubbornly to either shame or arrogance or both. You know, shame, it, it fears exposure. Shame makes us say, please don't look inside me. You won't like what you see. And, then, and arrogance, it fears humility. How dare, how dare you Reduce me to the level of a common sinner. I'm special. Yeah, I believe in sin, but don't you ever get that specific with me. And so instead, we 
We continue to try to justify ourselves. But here's the good news. The powerful news of Jesus Christ. Both shame and arrogance were demolished when Jesus died on the cross. One of the signs of spiritual maturity is the ability to receive correction. And by the way, sometimes that correction might not be fully accurate. We might need to to filter through some of it to kind of sort out, yeah, I am that, or I need to change that. No, I, I think they're wrong there. But even when we sort through it like that, we won't react with anger and offense and pettiness. Any ground for arrogance has been stripped away. As Christ followers, we stand in freedom. We reject our bent towards arrogance. We repent and turn our lives over to God, but we don't wallow in shame. We don't wallow in the past, in the regrets, in the hurts, because, folks, the blood of Christ covers those things. To go back and to hash them and rehash them, to bring them up again, whether it's in your own life or in somebody else's, that's like being that baby, that infant. We need to grow up. We need to step into the freedom that Jesus has called us to and made it possible. The good news of freedom and grace is best experienced in community. And God's plan, God's plan includes our lives together, together, forever, in his forever family. And so we might as well start getting along now. Because we've got a long future together in that kingdom. So as we wrap it up, let me just ask you this. Who is your Nathan? Who is your Nathan? When was the last time Nathan came and knocked on your door? Has your shame or arrogance carefully pushed away the Nathans that God may have sent your way? Do you have anyone willing to speak the truth into your life? And if you do, are are you willing to receive it when it's spoken? And then the other side of that coin, is there anybody that needs you to be Nathan? Folks, we need to speak the truth. All around us are people whose lives are headed for a cliff. They're about to go over and plunge to their death. And we're just kind of watching. Oh, we want to be kind and sweet. We don't want to judge. We want to be tolerant. Well, their life is about to burn up. Or maybe she doesn't need your advice and correction. Maybe she needs encouragement. A listening ear. But above all, she needs someone who loves enough to speak the truth in love. Participating in a community where these kinds of relationships exist is important. It's as important. No, no, it's more important than eating and exercise are to our physical body. In fact, if we aren't in community with other Christ followers, then we will stop 
growing spiritually. And we will begin to die. Speaking the truth in love is not the only way to grow in Christ. But as long as we together are status viatoris, pilgrims on the way, people on a journey, it will be one way that God reaches our hearts and changes our lives. And so I want to challenge you today to seek out people in your life Do this purposely. Find people who bring out the best in you, who challenge you to become the man or the woman that God has designed you 